Hello and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fan. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fan. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Oh, I want to remind you this morning, there's power in the blood. Power in the blood. If you have your Bibles, as we continue worshiping the Lord this morning, we'll now do it through the preaching of the Word, and I pray that you are ready to receive what God wants to say to you this morning, all right? So find with me, if you will, the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah. And if you will, as you find Isaiah, find chapter number 42, okay? Now, if you're our guest today and you don't spend a lot of time in your Bible, we're not mad at you. We're glad that you're here. And you may not know where Genesis is. You may not know, and that's all right. We're all at different places in the journey. So if you'll look on the front of your Bible, there's a table of contents. Isn't that crazy? It's the only book on planet earth where we won't look at the table of contents and find our spot. And so uh, you're not in a room full of uh, people who are going to look down on you for not being able to find your place fast. We just want you to be there. We want you to be there. Somebody amen. We want them to be there with us, right? Amen. And so, man, what a wonderful weekend we had at the Better Marriage Weekend. I'm telling you, you guys, there are some people that serve the Lord here that just blow my mind. Uh, They serve so excellently, and that marriage team did such a fantastic job uh, glorifying God by how they served, and marriages were transformed. Anybody say your marriage is already different, amen? Uh, As God spoke to me and you, some things that we needed to hear and be reminded of, and um, constantly we're a work in progress, and so I'm so thankful for that. And and maybe you're here today and you're not married. You say, well, I feel like an outsider. Well, listen, there are a lot of single folk in the room, and uh, don't think that it's just for married people. I'm so thankful that Jesus is for everybody, amen? He's for everybody. If you're our guest today, if you'll notice on the chair back in front of you, about every other one has got a little pocket there. There's a QR code. I want to encourage you to, if you would, help me to minister to you. Help us to minister to you by scanning that. Give us a little information so that we can minister to you during this week, all right, as things transpire. Because life's about to happen this week, isn't it? All right? If God lets us, life's going to happen. Now, listen, you guys are going to have to participate a little better than 830 did. Or I'm fixing to close my Bible and go to the house. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, early services were, t- I believe they were tired. And uh, it made it extremely difficult to, to preach. You may not know this, but different audiences make it more difficult or less difficult to preach the word. And really, it's the receptivity of the people. And so I really prayed extra between first and second service that you guys would come in receptive, can't wait to hear what God's going to say to you. And then you might even smile every once in a while. Can we practice that one time together? Yeah? I say some of the people, God's people are so full of joy, they just hadn't told their face yet, you know? And so we need to let our face express what's in our heart. And I'm, I'm so glad that you're here. And I believe God's got a word for me and you about mercy. We just sang about it, didn't we? The mercy of God. Now, let me give you a quick definition of what the word mercy means. Mercy means not getting what I do deserve. Not getting what I do deserve. Now, there's a line in that song that says, I thought I deserved to be six feet beneath the earth. And I looked over at Brooklyn and I said, they need to scratch the thought out. And it should say... I deserve to be six feet. Not that I thought it. That would, that would give the idea that maybe it's not true. But the truth of the matter is I deserve punishment and judgment. Now, we humans don't deal well with that, but it's the truth, right? And without deserving some punishment, we wouldn't know what mercy is. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Does that make sense to you? 
In other words, if you do something wrong in your, let's say, growing up or in your parents' house, if you do something wrong, you break their rules and commands, uh, then what happens is consequences, right? And, uh, and so, sometimes to not get the consequence would, would be to receive mercy. Now, uh, I believe parents are sometimes merciful, don't you? And sometimes I don't think I ever really got what I deserved from mom and dad. Um, now I got some punishment, but I didn't get what I deserved. And so I wanted to say that today's message deals with one attribute of God. And God is so, let me just say this, God is so very God. And he's, there's so much to his person and his character that we can, we can choose one attribute today, mercy. And have the whole message. We can spend the rest of our life just studying the mercy of God. And my prayer is that you would leave out of here. The objective of the message is that you would hear about the mercy of God, you'd connect to it and understand it, and it would cause you to love him more. I want you to leave out of here today loving him more because of the mercy that he has extended to you. And second thing is that you would take that mercy out to a world who needs Jesus. And you might whistle this week, okay? And some of you say, well, I can't whistle. Maybe snap your fingers. I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll pray that you'd walk around singing so much so that Somebody would ask you, hey, like they asked me, what's wrong with you? And you'll say, what do you mean? I don't sing well. And they'll just smile at you. And you say, no, no. Uh, they'll say, why are you singing? And you'll be able to say, because I, here's one of my favorite witnessing tools. One of my most common responses, I, don't, I, I will never receive from God what I owe, what he owe, what I deserve. I have received mercy. And I've had people say, you know, I had a lady say to me last week, she said, well, you don't look like that bad of a guy. And I thought, well, that was nice. You know, I mean, that was a kind thing to say. I said, but you have no idea. I said, I've broken the commands of God. And because I've broken one of them, the Bible says I'm guilty of all of them. And so I am deserving of way more than six feet below the earth. I'm deserving of the wrath of God. And I said, but here's the good news. The mercy of God has been extended to me, and I'll never face the wrath of God. And they'll just look at you and they'll say, wait a minute, there's hope for me. And so today, let's dive into that, okay? Isaiah. Now, to give you a little, little backdrop. Isaiah is a prophet of God, meaning he's the mouthpiece of God. God speaks to him to speak to the people. And uh, a lot of Isaiah's ministry was warning. He would warn them, don't do this, you're doing this, don't do that, and different things and the consequences of their rebellion. And so here, as we pick up in chapter 42, uh, I'm going to lead us into a place where you and I have looked at Isaiah 43 in a couple of messages recently where it's plugged in. But I want to give you, today we're going to focus on really the context that leads us to Isaiah 43. So we're going to read like the whole end of chapter 42. Aren't y'all excited? Uh, beginning in verse 21, and it's just about four verses. So I know you got that in you. And then we'll go four verses into chapter 43. Now remember this. Uh, in the original manuscript, it was a scroll. Y'all tracking with me? And it didn't have chapters and verses. And so if they wanted to go find something, boy, can you imagine how long it'd take to find something if there were no chapters and verses added later? I'm so thankful we can go find it right away. Chapter 42 and find verse 21. And with that being said, God's speaking to his people about a current condition that they are in. Okay? Now, they're in a current condition, and there's a reason. The reason of their condition is that they have rebelled against God. They've not gone his way. Now, I've got a question for you. How many of you can say that somewhere on the journey of life you have rebelled against God, you failed God in your life? Anybody in here besides me? Okay, good. Just like the 830 group, I'm, I'm preaching to my people, right? I feel, like, I feel at home because so have I. Now, when we think about rebelling against God, I would say that there have been times in my life that I've done that uh, on a grander scale. Anybody would agree to that? And so I said, well, send us in, yeah, but I'm telling you, some of them are really grand, uh, really public, really huge, right, failure. And some are not quite as public. And, some, and so as we think about the needing the mercy of God, I want you to keep that on your mind as we look into it. I'm going to see who you relate to in today's passage. 
hopefully you'll be like me and you'll relate to the children of Israel. Now, who are they? They're the people of God. Remember, he's called way back in Genesis. He called Abram, who we know better as, anybody know? Abraham called him out of Ur and said, I want a people that are mine. I don't want a common people. I don't want a people that look like everybody else. I don't want all the people that say they know me that don't know me. I want a people who are set apart, right, holy for my purposes. That's what God said. And so he called him out of there and formed a people from Abraham. And that is the Jewish people. And so in the old covenant, we see these people who God's called to himself. It's a picture of the new covenant where God has called Jew and Gentile, light skin, dark skin, tall, short, wide, thin, everybody in between where he's called whosoever will to come into this relationship with him. Now, we look to the Old Testament to learn some of the things that God desires with his people. I believe this morning we're going to be able to relate to the children of God this way. Uh, do you ever find yourself like walking close with God and then wandering and then walking close with God, and then wandering. And so I believe you, you and I are going to be able to relate to them this morning and loving the mercy of God. So without further ado, would you stand to your feet with me this morning, and let's begin together in Isaiah chapter 42, beginning in verse number 21. And we're going to read all the way down through chapter 43 and verse number 4. Can you go that far with me? I think this is my ninth message in six days, I think is what I figured out. I'm fired up, man. I'm, I hope you will be. And uh, somebody told me I'm tired this morning. I said, I don't want to hear that. Uh, let's dive into this thing and see what God has for it. Hey, there ought to be one group of people on planet Earth that always have a reason to celebrate, and that's those of us who have tasted the mercy of God. So here we go, Isaiah 42, chapter, chapter 42, verse number 21. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will exalt the law and make it honorable. But this is a people, remember the children of Israel, robbed, this is a people robbed and plundered. He's talking about their current condition. All of them are snared. That means caught, okay? They're caught in a hole, in holes rather. And they are hidden in prison houses. They're taken captive. They are for prey and no one delivers them. For plunder and no one says, y'all say the word with me, restore. Who among you will give ear to this? Who's going to listen and hear for the time to come? Who gave Jacob for plunder? Who was it? Who was it that gave Israel to the robbers? And then the rhetorical question is posed by Isaiah. Was it, was it not the Lord? He against whom you have sinned? For they would not walk in his ways, nor were they obedient to his law. Therefore, he has poured on him. Now, he's, when he says him, he's gone from a group, and he's identifying them now by one singular pronoun. Does that make sense? Him refers back to the children of Israel. Y'all tracking with me? That helps you for flow. All right. Therefore, he has poured on him the fury of his anger and the strength of battle. It has set him on fire all around, yet he didn't know. And it burned him, yet he did not take it to heart. But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. Y'all help me? Oh, I love those words. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Why? Because you're tall, because you're educated, because you're wealthy. No, 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 no. For I am, help me somebody, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I love, the, I love that, that, that term, your Savior. And then God says, I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, God said, you have been honored and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your lives. And then he tells them again, fear not for I am with you. 
Now let's pause for just a moment, if you would, and let's ask the Lord to help us to hear what he has to say. Okay, will you bow your head with me? Now did you notice in Isaiah's declaration, he says, who's going to hear? Who's going to listen? And so, you know, as, as I read that out loud in the first service, I hadn't thought about this at all until then. The question was posed in my heart and mind as I look around this sea of faces. Who in here is going to listen today? Who's going to hear what God is saying to you? And that's a good thing for us to ponder. Now let's pray. Lord, would you please help us now? Help me to preach this word, Lord, by the power of your spirit and the gift that you've given me. Lord, as I preach, uh, help put on display today that the people that know me know I'm less than ordinary. And that God, if you're able to use me, you can use anybody on planet earth. And so, Lord, as you use me today, I pray that you would. I pray that you'd use me for your glory, that people would see, man, God really is awesome. He's amazing. And, Lord, as you preach the word through me, as I'm a surrendered vessel in your hand, would you also preach to my heart? God, I need it. And I want to fall more in love with you today based on your mercy. And I pray for somebody today who came into the house in need of mercy, that they would know it's new every morning. It's available for them. God, I pray that you give us ears to hear that you cause us to sit on the front edge of our seat, that we'd be excited about what you're saying and teaching us. And then, God, we leave out of here transformed. So meet with us now, we pray. Our gathering is nothing without you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. And all the people said, amen. Thank you for standing in honor of reading God's word. Now, we're going to rewind back to the beginning of this, of this message. The title of it is simply, The Mercy of God. The mercy of God. And as we consider chapter 42, and if you're just keeping a nice outline, let me give you the verses, Isaiah 42, 21 through 43, verse number four, okay? And what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at this message in two parts. The first part is just sort of a platform. And it, and it comes from chapter 42, and it's those verses that we read in 42, and you'll, you'll get it in a minute. The second part we're gonna do is look at the mercy of God. Okay, and so the second part is going to have a list of seven because there are going to be seven things that is declared in Isaiah 43, 1 through 4 about the mercy of God. And by the way, sometimes we think we know about the mercy of God, but it's good for us to be reminded about the mercy of God. And it's good for us to investigate the mercy of God and to see that it's not just one term, one quick definition and move on, but that there's so much more to it. So let's begin with the platform, all right? Roman numeral one in your notes, write this down, okay? Let's write this down, the mercy of God. Roman numeral one, the heart of man, and here's what we're gonna prove in Isaiah 42, 21 to 25, the heart of man leads to difficult places. The heart of man. You say, I know about them males, that's true. No, I'm talking about mankind, okay? And so the heart of man leads to difficult places. Now, before I unpack the verses, do you, do you understand what that little sentence means? Uh, can anybody in the house say amen to that because of your own personal experience? Have you ever followed your heart to a difficult place? Uh, it's why I get uneasy when I see these t-shirts that say, follow your heart. I'm like, oh, mercy. Uh, you follow your heart and you'll get into a difficult place. Follow Jesus. That's what you need to do. Amen. Follow him. Follow his ways. Follow his heart. Let him transform your heart so that your heart lines up with his heart and you'll follow him and it'll be wonderful. But if you follow your heart, it can lead. It can lead. A lot of times it leads to difficult places. It leads to places such as anxiety because your heart begins to weigh your circumstances versus your ability, and what happens is it increases anxiety in your mind because in your heart, you're following your own ways of working things out. If you follow your heart in the area of, uh, you know, accomplishments and, and reaching your goals, and what will happen is if you're looking at it versus what you've accomplished and what you haven't, all of a sudden it can sometimes produce despair and discouragement, and you'll find yourself in a place void of peace. Can I tell you that Jesus died for more than you just to get the golden ticket to heaven. He died for you and me to experience his power in our lives 
in this fallen world. And so today we're going to look at the attribute of God, the mercy of God. Okay, so the heart of man, let's read verse 21. And I'm going to just kind of talk through and preach through verse 21 to 25. Y'all ready for that? Somebody amen? All right, verse 21. The Lord is well pleased. What we're going to see here is two views of the law of God and God's righteousness. God's view and the people's view. First is God's view. What does it say? The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. Get this, his righteousness pleases him. How about that? Well, that'll cause you to think in a circle, won't it? The righteousness of who he is and his character pleases God. God is pleased with his righteousness. And his righteousness is so right that you and I can't even put our minds around it. So God's view, he, he, he's pleased with right, for his righteousness sake. He will exalt the law and make it honorable. And so what he's saying is, is in God's eyes, his righteousness pleases him and his law, in God's eyes, his law is honorable and good and right. Now, that's his opinion, excuse me, that's his perfect truth, all right? Now read a little further, but this is the people now, but there's a contrast. But this is a people robbed and plundered. There's going to be a connection about God's view of his righteousness and his law and his ways and the current condition of the people. Y'all tracking with me? All right. So God says he's pleased with righteousness. He loves his law. He's honorable among, among everyone. And yet there's this group of people that are supposed to belong to God who are plundered. They're robbed. Now let me say this to you. Why is God even bringing that up? Here's why. He is not pleased when his people are plundered and robbed. God is not pleased when the enemy is wreaking havoc and stealing what is good in your life, peace and, and, and patience and the fruits of the spirit. He's not pleased. God doesn't, he doesn't enjoy when you and I, the enemy attacks and steals away from us that which Christ died to give us. He's not pleased with that. And so he says, but I'm looking at my people here. God says, my righteousness pleases me and my, my, my law is right and honorable. But here are my people, they're robbed. People are overpowering them and taking from them and plundering them. But read on, that's not the end of it. All of them are snared. They're caught up. They're in traps. They're all in webs and snares. They are hidden in prison homes. They are, they're prisoners. God's people are not supposed to be prisoners. They're supposed to walk in freedom. They're not supposed to be caught in holes and traps of temptation and sin. They're supposed to walk in freedom uh, from sin. And he says, but they are prey. We're not supposed to be prey. We're supposed to be more than conquerors. In Jesus, he says they're, they're, they're prey. And listen to what he says. Because they've not turned to God, because they've not honored his laws and his ways, he says no one, read the end of that, no one delivers. They can't deliver themselves. Uh, the pagan gods that they oftentimes turn to can't deliver them. Nobody can deliver them. Why? Because there's only one who delivers. But read a little further along. For plunder... And no one can deliver for plunder, and no one says, nobody is concerned about the restoration of the people. The pagan people aren't excited. They don't care about God's people. They just assume they, have you ever heard this phrase before, misery loves company? And so nobody's running around saying, we want you to be restored. We want you to experience restoration in your life, in your marriage, in your home, in your single life, in your parenting. We want you to experience rest. Nobody's doing that. Why? Because they're not honoring God's ways. Two, two views. God loves his law and loves his righteousness, but the people at the time had not loved his law and not loved his righteousness, and there were great consequences. There are, listen to me, great consequences 
when we don't love God's ways and God's laws. Now, listen, I'm not preaching a message today that says if you'll obey God's laws, you can be right with God. You can't. But if you'll get right with God through the grace offered to you through the death and resurrection of Jesus, what will happen is gratitude will spring up and the spirit will get inside and God will begin to live you, help you live your life according to his law. The law doesn't get you saved, but when you, when you are saved, all of a sudden his law matters to you. You want to do it his way. And you begin looking into things like we looked into this weekend. Like what does God's law say about marriage? What does his law and command say about marriage? And when you're saved and born again, you begin to say, well, I've got a choice. I can look at the box top. Somebody in the room knows what I'm talking about. And try to put it together without his instruction. Or, or I can go about it saying, Lord, what does your word say about it? Because you have saved me and because I belong to you, I want to investigate and see what your word says. And I want to honor, uh-oh, God's view of it. I want to honor your word. I, I want righteousness to be elevated in my thought. I don't want to be offended by it. I don't want to look down on it. I don't want to be common. I want to, but they're, but they're not there. And because they're not there, there are great consequences. Have you ever been there? Have you ever disregarded the law of God? In your finances and your giving and your marriage and your parenting? in your relationships with friends and other people? You ever disregarded the law of God? Uh, for instance, when the word of God says, if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn together, you ever disregarded that? You ever find yourself disregarding when the word of God says, if someone asks to borrow from you, you lend it to them and don't expect anything in return. You ever disregarded that? I wish somebody would nod their head this morning. I'm in this with you now, okay? Be all making me feel all alone. And so I, I've, in my life, I would have to say there have been times when I've disregarded it. And what happens is difficult things. You don't have the peace of God. You don't have the favor of God. You don't have, you forfeit all of that when you and I live according to what is right in our own eyes, okay? So uh, the heart of man leads to difficult places. Would you agree with me that they are in a difficult place? They're plundered. Uh, they're caught in snares. They're slaves. That's not what God wants for them. And I'll promise you, if you'd ask them, hey, are you enjoying this? You having fun with them robbing everything good from you and robbing your land and having you a slave? You know what they'd say? Heavens, No. We're miserable. And so let's move a little further. But he said, but here's the problem. God says, I'm giving you Isaiah. Isaiah is speaking on God's behalf. But God is speaking to them through Isaiah saying, hey, here's the diagnosis. God loves his righteousness and his law. And you don't. You disregard it. And because of that, you're in a bad spot. But the question is, are you going to hear that? Are you going to listen to God say to you, hey, the reason your marriage is the way it is is because you've, not, you've disregarded the law of God. Is, are you going to listen to hear, or you and I, are we going to listen to say the reason relationships are the way they are is because you've disregarded the law of God. The reason your finances are in the shape they're in is because you and I have disregarded the law of God. We just did what was right, what seemed right in our own eyes, what felt good. And the question is, who among us will hear him say that to us today in a way in which our lives are transformed? Listen to what he goes on to say, because he didn't just say here. He goes on to say, who among you will give ear to this? And then he says, who among you will listen and hear for the time to come? Now, time to come means future. So currently they're in a bad situation, but if they'll listen, uh-oh. If they'll hear what God has to say, what is he saying? There's a future out there. And the future looks bright, amen, if you and I will repent. What does repent mean? It means to change our mind about something. Well, in particular here, change our mind about the laws and the ways and the commands of God. And not to see them as fun suckers, but to see them as the law of life that brings light and peace and joy into our lives. And to begin to say, because you love me this way, I want to live this way. Help me now by your word, by your spirit, and by your church, encouraging me, cheering me on, holding me accountable. Help me then to walk this journey your way. Who will hear him today? I'm looking at a lot of faces. I'm telling you, it's amazing to me. In the summertime, we're packing this place out. I'm glad they're about to break the ground open out there and start helping us to expand. 
But as I look around the faces, the question hits me over and over. Who among you? I'm looking at faces, young people, middle-aged people, all kinds of people, people all over, men and women all over the room. And the question is, who will hear what God has to say to you today so that the future, oh, I wish you'd hear me, could be filled with the favor and the blessing of God. So the heart of man leads to difficult places. Y'all agree with that? Somebody amen? All right, it has led them to a bad spot. Let me move on. Who gave Jacob for plunder? <clears throat> God asked, who is it that did it? Who gave Jacob for plunder? And Israel to the robbers. Who was it? Who was it that caused Israel to be defeated? Then he poses a rhetorical question. Who is it? Somebody help me. Come on, y'all don't mumble at me. Who is it? The Lord. Say it like you mean it. It's the Lord. He said, wasn't it God that could have defended you? Wasn't it God that if you'd have been doing it his way and regarding him would have led you to victory? Wasn't it God who is the one who allowed your enemies to be used to bring you to a place of humility to where you finally would hear me? Isn't it something about us? We, can't we identify with the Israelites? Isn't it something about this generation all the way down to our generation that we have to sometimes be humbled in difficult situations to where we finally listen to God? Do any parents in the house, can you say that you have some children like that? Oh, man. Oh, man. But you know what? If we ask our mom and daddy what our mom and daddy would say, they had some children like that too. And if we asked our grandparents about our parents, you know what they'd say? They had some children like that too. Because truth of the matter is, we're a lot alike. And so we can identify with these children of Israel. So watch as it goes on. Who gave them for plunder of Israel? Who, was it not the Lord? He against whom you have sinned. Now, we need to stop for just a moment and understand that when you and I sin, in other words, we disregard God's way and do it our way. When we sin in our life... It is not against the people in our lives, uh, first and primary, it is against God. Now, now, let's just be honest. We don't think about it like that a lot, do we? Have you ever heard the phrase, out of sight, out of mind? You've heard that before? And so when we sin against somebody, uh, who is it that's out of sight? God, look at y'all. Boy, y'all thinking this thing through. God is. Who is it that's in our vision? Person that we've done wrong person we've lost our temper with, person that we've betrayed, person that we have whatever, talked about, gossiped about. And so when we see them, it's easier for us, I believe, because not when it's present before of us, we recognize that we've sinned against that person. And I want to say it's rare that we realize the weight of our sin is that truthfully, primarily, firstly, our sin is against a holy God. A God who is in a category all his own, who loves his righteousness and loves his law and knows that if you and I will uh, after coming into faith uh, by grace in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection to the family, we then begin to say, now I want to do it God's way and experience the blessing of it and the favor of it. So uh, the heart of man leads to difficult places. He says, who against whom have we sinned or he who against whom you have sinned for they would not walk in his ways. They wouldn't do it. And they've now facing consequences, uh, nor were they obedient to his law. Let me ask you a question. Have any of you ever committed sin in your life and the consequences of it you're still facing anybody in the room would raise your hand to say that now let's be clear about something um, if you've confessed it to God right because he says if we confess our sin talking to believers first John 1 9 if we've confessed our sin he's faithful and just to forgive us right God is if we confess he forgives so even for the believer we need to practice continual confession and as we talk to God and confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, right? Um, but now, understand this. Forgiveness does not void consequences. You've lived long enough to know that, don't you? 
Uh, it doesn't discount God. It doesn't go against the theology of God, the study of God, or the doctrine of the Bible. Uh, matter of fact, forgiveness and consequences are two different things, right, in this world, in this life. And so decisions that I make, though God will forgive me, certainly if I turn away and confess them, he at the same time will allow consequences. And listen, uh, let me just say one person said to me one time, well, what is the difference how can you tell me I'm experiencing mercy if I'm going through this hardship? Let's put it practical. Let's put it right here, literal. How could the children of God say this is a mercy message when these other nations have plundered us? That doesn't sound like mercy. That sounds like we got what we deserved. How can they say then uh, that these consequences that we're facing is mercy? How can you say that? Here it is. You ready? Now, you might want to write this down for clarity's sake, all right? Punishment and consequences are not steeped in the wrath of God. Punishment and consequences are steeped in, you ready, the love of God. If there's a parent in the house, you should have shouted amen right there. You don't punish your children when, they, when you say, hey, I need you to be home at midnight or 11 o'clock, whatever, and you punish them for disobeying your command. You're not doing that because you hate them and you want to pour out wrath on them. You do that because you love them and you know what happens to them if they stay out past curfew and things that can take place. Is anybody tracking with me? And so you need to separate in your mind the consequences based on my decisions, your decisions, uh, are different than facing the wrath of God. Listen, you and I could not even fathom the scary fierceness of the wrath of God. If you want to just sort of meditate on it, which I wouldn't recommend, look to the beating death of Jesus. Why was it so horrific? Here's the word. Here's the answer. You ready? The wrath of God. Why, why didn't they just hang him real quick? I mean, that's bad enough. Death for life. I mean, that, that works. Nope, nope. The scripture says by his stripes, come on, somebody help me. We're healed. Now, people try to take that and bring it to diseases and things, and yes, God heals diseases, but that's not, what that, that's not the context of that passage. If that were the case, we'd never get sick. The context of that passage by his stripes in Isaiah that we are healed is that by every lick Jesus took, it took every single one of them to satisfy the wrath of God, to heal us of this condition called sin. Wow. And so there's difference between consequences and punishment from a loving father and wrath from a righteous judge. Does that make sense to you this, this morning? Yes? Y'all give me a head now so I can move forward. All right. So the heart of man leads to difficult places. I believe we've proven that backwards and forwards. Anybody agree with me? For this they would not walk in his ways, and therefore he poured out on him the fury of his anger and the strength of battle, and it was set on fire all around him. And yet, here's the thing. He said, you weren't smart enough to know. And so I want you to think about that. He says, yet you did not know, and it burned him Yet he didn't take it to heart. He made it like a small thing. Here, here's what I want you to see. Here's the picture. They've been surrounded. Nebuchadnezzar burns the city. They, they, they've gone through all of this hardship, and they don't make the connection that the consequences are due to their rebellion. I wonder today in your life if you've not yet made the connection between the struggle that you're going through and the personal sin, the struggle, the rebellion against God's ways that are going on in your life. Now, listen, I don't know your life. I don't know what's going on in your life. I'm not telling you today that every hard thing that you and I go through is directly attached to punishment from God. That's not what I'm telling you. But I'm telling you sometimes it is. And oh, that God, we would be wise enough to say, oh, I know why I'm going through what I'm going through. I need to turn. I need to turn. I'm not doing, I'm not following according to his ways. I'm not, and I need to make an adjustment. I need to turn and confess it to him and ask him to help me. Is anybody tracking with me this morning? Listen, this is life-changing, valuable truth. Don't have to look down at the carpet. We can be fired up about the fact God loves us enough to sit us in a room and say, here it is. Will you listen? 
You don't have to experience the pain of it. Just listen and make course adjustments. All right, here we go. Roman numeral one, the heart of man leads to difficult places. Let me move on. Roman numeral two. This is a list of seven, okay? And it's going to be simply called the mercy of God. And we're going to make a statement, the mercy of God, and we're going to fill it in about seven different ways. Is that okay with y'all? Great, here we go. Anybody still with me? All right. Number one in the list of seven. Begins in chapter 43 in verse number one. Now notice verse number one begins with a contrast word. What is it? But. But means here's one thing, but. And thank God for the contrast of God compared to us. Because my question for you this morning is, has anybody in your life ever done you wrong? Has anybody in your life ever betrayed you and didn't do what they were supposed to do in relationship with you? Anybody? And how many of you, by show of hands, have had somebody betray you in relationship with you? Slip your hand if you've had somebody do that to you in your life. Raise your hand, all right? Now, how many of you, that's everybody. And my next question is, how many of you would say that there's been a somebody in your life has done it more than once? Raise your hand. More than once. They've, 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 they didn't do what they're supposed to do in their relationship with you, okay? And so now the next question is, how many would say that more than a couple times somebody has done you wrong, right? Well, raise your hand if it's more than a couple times. All right, how many of you can say somebody's done you wrong a hundred times? A hundred times, you know for sure they've betrayed you and you just keep on, all right, just about three hands. Now, you think about if it was a million times. And yet, now, let's just say there's, I would, may I introduce to you that there's a limit to our mercy with other people who betray us. Anybody agree with that? Something along these lines. Somebody betrays you and hurts you and at the minimum, uh, we do what I call duck and dodge, right? They've hurt us, they've betrayed us, and so we don't want to be around them. And what we do then is what? You see them on Walmart, and you sway down there with your contacts, your glasses on, you make out a figure, and you think, uh-oh. That's, uh, oh, man. And all of a sudden, you find yourself turning down the towel aisle. You don't need towels. <laughs> and you start feeling them, you know, like you're a towel connoisseur. Turning them up. Some of you are like, man, were you there? Did you see that? No, I just know how we are. Me and you, I know how we are. And so you start feeling it. You start checking the price. You're not buying towels. I call it ducking and dodging. And we duck and dodge when people hurt us. And we, we, we try to avoid it. And, and that's, that's sometimes the best case scenario. Sometimes we, we have ill will. Sometimes we, 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 we no, well, I wouldn't say we necessarily pray it, but we think sometimes it'd be nice if they had a flat tire. Right? How about this? Let's just be real honest with each other. How about this? Have you ever had somebody betray you more than once and then the consequences of the betrayal catch up with them? And have you ever found, now watch this, we're about to get ugly honest. If you're our guest, by the way, this is what ugly honest looks like. doesn't mean we're mean to each other and call each other out on things. It means that we're honest, ugly about where we are. You ever found yourself sort of glad that the person who betrayed you is now suffering the consequences of what they did to you? My goodness, aren't we something? Aren't we something? Oh, it's the opposite of the mercy of God. We're going to get there. All right, it's the opposite of the mercy of God. So the mercy of God, here we go. The mercy of God, number one, reminds us. Now, this is going to be kind of wordy, so they're going to keep it up on the overhead for just a minute because some of y'all really like to get the words written down. And so it's up there. It's going to stay there for a minute as I, as I preach through. Uh, verse number one of Isaiah 43, the mercy of God reminds us because we forget, especially when we have failed or betrayed God. Y'all with me? We forget. The enemy starts whispering to us, oh, look what you did. You can't be saved. 
Look what you did. God can't love you. Look what you did. There's no way you're saved. Look what you did. You can't go to gather with the church. You're going to have to stay home. They're all going to be looking at you. And the, and the enemy whispers and uses uh, this against us and what the mercy of God. And, and God ought to do the same thing. But his mercy doesn't give us that. His mercy does not give us that. And his grace provides a reminder. Hey, in the midst of what you've done, let me remind you something. I made you. And I made you, you're divinely designed, and you have divine purpose. You said, but wait a minute. These people in verses 21 to 25 and a whole lot of Isaiah have failed. They've, they've, they've rebelled against God. They've, they've, they've turned their affections to false gods. They've, they've not walked in his ways. And then God says, but I want to remind you of something. I formed you. I created you. You're special to me. I made you, you're divinely designed and you have divine purpose. Somebody here needs to hear that. It doesn't matter if you've betrayed and failed and God's mercy says, I'm not going to remind you of it. So if somebody's reminding you of it, it's not God, it's the enemy. And, he, and God says, I want to instead, I'm going to remind you, I'm going to remind you who you are. You are made by God. You are made for God. And I'm so thankful today for the mercy of God because I tried my best to disqualify myself for the purpose for which he made me. I tried, with all, I tried my dead level best to destroy all of that, the reason for which God made me. But can I tell you that now that I have found it, some 19, 20 years later, after having found a purpose for which he made me, that is to pastor his people and preach his word, there is no better way to live than to know no matter what I have done or what failures I come to, I'm still divinely designed by God and I have divine purpose. And so do you. So do you. And I pray you begin to believe that again. Based on the mercy of God, we're reminded of Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, where God said, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, and God said, before I formed you in the womb, I already knew you. I had this picture of you. I was already ahead in the future with you, and I knew you. And before you were born, I sanctified you. Here's the purpose. I ordained you a prophet. You may not have been ordained a prophet, but God has ordained for you a purpose in this life. And if you're still here, you still have potential. And you've not goofed it up so much he can't repair it. And you've not fouled it up enough and you've not betrayed him enough that he's, he's run away from you. He's running to you and he's sitting you down today to say, hey, I have mercy for you still. I still have mercy for you. Now let me move on if I can, all right? Let me just say this. When we are unfaithful, God is not. Aren't you glad? Let me make this statement to you. Our sin against God does not cancel out his unique design and purpose. Aren't you thankful for that? He's just told him, you sinned against me, but, but. I made you, I formed you, you're my own special people and I've got a purpose for your life. Oh, that's so good tonight, uh, to more, this morning. It feels like tonight, but it's still morning, all right? Number two, number two in this list, seven things quickly about the mercy of God. Number two, the mercy of God, and this blows my mind, desires our peace. The mercy of God, we don't get what we deserve. When somebody betrays us, we desire, what do we desire? Retribution, we desire for them to suffer. We want them to be anxious. We want them to be unhappy. What does God want when we betray him? He wants us to have peace. I don't understand that. Anybody else can understand that? Come up here and draw it out on a whiteboard and explain that to me because I've been searching for a long time and I just cannot wrap my mind around the wonderful mercy of God. So here's what he does in verse number one. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, they were divinely designed and purpose. He who formed you, O Israel. And here's what he says to them. Don't be afraid. Fear not. I don't want you to be anxious because you've betrayed me. 
I don't want you to be afraid of your enemies because you've betrayed me. I don't want you to be uh, unsettled on what's going to happen the rest of your life because you've not obeyed me. I hear people say sometimes I've sinned so greatly against God. I did this thing and I'm afraid for generations it's going to, listen, he says, don't be wrapped up in anxiety and fear. He says, listen, I want you to understand that, that his mercy is new every morning. And his mercy, the well of his mercy will never run dry. And he says to them very plainly, fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't let anxiety. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes people have betrayed me. And I sort of, I, if I'm honest, I can say that I sort of enjoy a little bit when they get unsettled. Anybody else out there? Boy, y'all just sitting like that makes me feel so alone. I want to just take a picture of that sometimes, show you what that looks like. And I'm like, well, I'm the only rascal in the room. But there have been times that I've had thoughts like that, you know? Um, you ever thought this way? Well, you finally got what you deserved. Oh, now, now ponder this. What if God said that to me and you? And here's what I want you to know, child of God. He'll never say that to you. Because of his mercy, you'll never get what you deserve. You won't tell me how I don't, I don't get downtrodden and the things of the world don't pull me down. I'll never get what I deserve. <laughs> I mean, that's the reality. I'll never get what I deserve. And so here's what happens. The, the God, mercy of God desires our peace. He says, fear not, fear not. So here, here how can he say fear not? What, what, does God back, what does God use to back up this idea? I don't want you to be afraid because listen, if you betray God, I understand there's a little bit of fear that my enemies are not gonna whip my tail for the rest of my days. But God said, not so. How? Read with me. He says, fear not. Why? Because I have, come on, somebody read it. I have redeemed you. What does that word mean? Purchased you. I've paid for you. You belong to me. All right. And so now you read a little further. He says, I have purchased you. You belong to me. I've called you by your name, redeemed you. He says three words. You are mine. Now, a couple of things I want you to think about for just a moment. They have been in rebellion. They have not claimed God as theirs. And yet he has claimed them as he is. Isn't that interesting? They said, we don't want no part of you. We're going to go after these other gods. We're going to do what we want to do. We want to do it. We might go to church on Sunday. But listen, there's somebody in the room today, and you can identify with these children of Israel. You have no intentions of changing your life and lining it up with the authority of God's word. You're content with just coming in on Sunday and getting a little dab, like Brio Cream, a little dab will do you. And you feel good about the song, and the message is sort of nice. And, and uh, you know, and you just sort of go out. And, and Monday through Saturday, you say, that's my life, and I'll live it how I want to live it. And that is the kind of rebellion that I'm talking about. Uh, there's no intent in our heart to change. And so let me just kind of bring something to your have you ever had an opportunity in your life where you sort of disowned your children? Now, hang on. Some of y'all are like, no way. I love that look right there. No, pastor. I would never disown my children. Hang on. Hang on. Watch this. There have been times in the past I've disowned my children. Watch. Tina, leave me with them. Woo. I called it babysitting. She corrected me one time early on. She said, you can't call it babysitting when you're on your, ch when you're on children. And uh, so I never could use that term again. She came home one time, and Brooklyn had done something. I don't even remember what it was. And she comes to the door, and I, here's, my, here's my terminology. Ready? I'm frazzled. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And, and, and dads get it more frazzled than moms do. Uh, we don't handle it as well. And I was frazzled. And she comes to the door, and I say, your daughter. Huh? Whose daughter? Your daughter. Now, I didn't really disown her, you understand. But when they act up, huh? Something happened at school, your son, Tina, your son. But now when they make the honor roll, I honor, I look at, what do we do? 
my, as my, somebody says, my child. Oh, they look at my kid. They've made the honor. They've made the all-star team. And we, and we, but here's the thing. Listen, you and I, even in our rebellion, God says, I will never disown you. He'll never say, you just going to have to go. You belong to somebody else. He says, even in your rebellion, I want you to know you're mine. You belong to me. And that means something. Listen, our possessions, we take care of. Somebody amen right there. You ever notice how you take better care of your stuff than you do other people's stuff in the house? Huh? How about this? Uh, would you agree with me? You take better care of st stuff that you pay more for. Is that true or not true? Do you treat your paper uh, products at home, your paper plates? That's our fine china. Uh, do you treat those the same way you do your grandmother's dishes? Heavens no. And so you treat things different based on the value you've assigned to them. And you'll take care of them. How about this? Not only do you take the better care of things that are, are, are expensive to you, but you would say that you would take your better care of things that, are, that have uh, an emotional attachment, right? What do we call it? Sentimental value. And you don't let the grandkids play with your great-grandfathers, what have you. And it's because it has greatest attachment to your heart. Now, I want you to think about what you are to God. You are both expensive and you are deeply tied to his heart, his love. You say, how do you know I'm expensive, preacher? Because you weren't bought with the blood of bulls and goats, nor were you bought with gold and silver, which is any, or any other perishable item that goes up and down, tarnishes. But you were bought and purchased with the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, his own son. Let me say to you this morning something you might have forgotten that maybe the enemy has talked you out of. You're very expensive. You're very expensive. God paid top dollar. No, no, no. He paid top blood for you. And for me. And so why in heaven's name in our rebellion and our failures would we allow the enemy to whisper to us that we're nothing, we're worse than, we're not worth anything. And so we can't be around God's people. And it's why, it's why the enemy tries to isolate us from the people of God and from God himself. Because if we get over here and we start just kind of rolling in our mind and letting the enemy have us, we become that little lamb away from the sheepfold and the wolf has an easy target. And today I need to remind you the mercy of God. It's new every morning. It desires your peace. You're the purchased possession of God. Not only are you valuable, but you have emotional sentiment about you. He loves you, and he always has. See, some reason you and I attach, because we're in a condition-based system down here, we think there was a day that God started loving us. But I need you to understand something that your mind will hardly wrap around. There was never a day in which God said, you know what, I think I'll start loving them today. He always has. Before the foundation of the earth, he loved you. And he loved you perfectly. It's not a roller coaster based on your performance. It's off the chart and it's steady. His mercy is new every morning. The mercy of God, you are mine. All right, number three. We're in a list of seven. Number three. And so the mercy of God, first we said, y'all help me now. Come on, wake up with me. The mercy of God reminds us that we are two things, divinely designed and we have purpose. Number two, the mercy of God desires for us to have what? Peace, not the fear and anxiety and depression, but peace based on the truth that he purchased us and we're his prized possession. Hallelujah, that's good news. Thirdly, the mercy of God <laughs> stays with us. Would you write that? And then the parentheses, you see in the notes there, the parentheses, the mercy of God stays with us. Literally, I'm talking about his presence. But notice the rest of the sentence. The mercy of God stays with us when? through every consequence. So there's consequence to my decision. There's consequence to my rebellion. There's consequence when I disregard God and do it Terry's way. And yet, here's what God says, I'm still gonna be with you. When your decisions produce hot fire, 
I'm, I'm going to be with you. And it's not going to destroy you. It's going to refine, uh-oh. It's going to refine you, but it's not going to destroy you. And when your, your decisions create deep water, you're going you're gonna to experience a whole new level of trusting me, but it will not drown you. And I want you to see the mercy of God in your consequences. Can anybody say that in your life, you know you've experienced consequences on your decisions, but at the same time you know you can say the presence of God has been with me all the way through. Hallelujah. And somebody needs to be reminded today that, yes, you may be facing consequences, but God is with you and he's for you and he's doing something good. Oh, I'm so thankful for this word today, the mercy of God. Number three, the mercy of God stays with us, all right? And by the way, remember, that's the promise that changes everything. The presence of God, I am with you, that changes everything, all right? And by the way, again, that's why the enemy wants to isolate you and say, well, you can't talk to God because you failed. And the enemy wants to tell you, you can't pray and you can't gather. Here's what he used to tell me. He used to tell me all the time, you can't go gather with the people of God because they've got it all figured out. And then I got to talking to people, and I figured out they really don't have it all together and figured out. And I figured out that the enemy had lied to me so much that I saw people as these perfect, everything in line. And what I've found out since then is that we're all a bit of a hot mess. And, the, and that's why we're so dependent upon the mercy of God. He's so merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Let me move on. Number four. Number four, we're going to have to speed up a little bit. Y'all okay with that? Some of y'all are looking like you're hanging on by a thread. All right, number four, uh, the mercy, and we, we just read that in verse number two. He said, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. I just read through that and explained it to you. Now, verse number three, we're just going to verse at a time. Number, verse number three found in number four in this list of the mercy of God. The mercy of God, listen to this, claims us, and I've already mentioned this, so I'm going to hit it quick. Claims us when we don't even claim him. Claims us when we don't claim him. Now, I want you to think about that. Listen to what he says. For I am the Lord. Here's the, here's the personal pronoun. I'm the Lord. Come on, read it. I'm the Lord, your. See the possession there? I'm the Lord, your God. I belong to you. First he said, you, you're mine. But now he says, I'm yours. See how that works? And I want you to think for just a minute about the fact that God claimed them when they didn't claim him. Somebody in this room, if I ask you, hey, do you claim God? Oh, we'd say, yeah, I claim God, man. He, yeah, I got a shirt. I went to church Sunday morning. I claim God. That's not what I'm talking about. That's easy. I'm talking about the way you live your life. Now, remember, we don't live our lives in a way to be saved. But when we accept the free gift of eternal life found in Jesus Christ our Lord who died for us and rose from the grave and we commit our life to him and invite him to come and be Lord, we receive eternal forgiveness and salvation. We begin a right relationship with God. But what happens then is we are now motivated and empowered to live life his way. Motivated and empowered. So there are days when my life does not claim God. Is anybody with me? When I blow my temper, when I don't forgive, when I whatever. Whatever it is that me and you do that is rebellion to God's ways and laws, when we do that, our actions say, what do they say? He's not my God. I'm not claiming him. I'm claiming me. I'm going to do what I want to do. And even in that, and by the way, isn't that painful? Can you imagine if your child wouldn't claim you? Like I mentioned for a minute that I did disown my children. I saw Brooklyn looking at them like, what, are you, what? what is he talking about, you know? But I didn't disown them. I mean, I just kind of jokingly said, your daughter, your son, you know. I would never disown them. There's nothing they could ever do to make me say they're not mine. They don't belong to me. 
But I, I, I thought about it as I was putting this message together because these people, their actions said, we're going after other gods. We're going to do our own things. I can't imagine the pain that it would be in my heart in my life if Riley or Maddie or Brooklyn or Anna Grace or Marco, any of them said, you know what, he's not my dad. He's not my dad. I don't want anything to do with him. I said, I get choked up thinking about it. And I don't know, it'd be a painful thing. And it'd be really hard for me to, to say, you know, it'd be a hard, hard thing, wouldn't it? And yet, here's the thing, as you and I do that with God, he says, but you're mine. You may not claim me, but I claim you. And man, that ought to motivate us, shouldn't it? Whew, it ought, right now you ought to be, right now in your seat, you ought to be falling more in love with Jesus. Is anybody with me? I mean, you, know, you track what I'm saying? When you compare what's happened, what we've done, how we've lived, and who he is and his mercy, right now you ought to be saying, my Lord, I love him so much. I love him more than I did when I came in. And somebody today needs for the first time turn your life over to him. You can't imagine the difference between him operating outside here and him operating inside here. Oh, it's so different. It's so different. So the mercy of God claims us when we don't even claim him. So uh, he's the Lord. He said, I'm the Lord, your God. Number five, number five. Y'all, y'all working with me? Number five, uh, the mercy of God. This is still in verse number three. The mercy of God does not cancel his holiness. What? The mercy of God does not counsel his holiness. Somebody might would challenge this by saying, you know what, God's not really holy if he'll accept me and still claim me as his. So God clarifies. Y'all tracking with me? Read what he says as he declares who he is. He tells them that his mercy and his grace and his goodness are going to preserve them through the consequences of their decisions, fire and water and all the hard things that we face. And then he tells them why in verse number three. And he does not tell them because they're special. He doesn't tell them because they're good people. He doesn't tell them because they're smart or they're educated. He does not tell them, I'm going to do that because you've given all your money away to the poor. No, no. He says, I'm going to do that because of who I am. I am, God said, I am the Lord your God, the Come on, say it like you mean all together. The holy one of Israel. Holy meaning set apart. Holy meaning other. In a category above and beyond every great excellent thing you could ever fathom. And God says because of who I am, my holiness is the only reason that I can extend this mercy to you. My goodness, I'm thankful that God's holy, aren't you? The holiness of God, mercy, the mercy of God doesn't cancel out his holiness. No, he's separate, he's incomparable, he's unequal. As a matter of fact, his mercy, if you will, supports and encourages the idea that God truly is holy because who else treats us that way? I'll tell you, nobody. He's holy. And then, let me move on, number six, see how quickly y'all turned that right on up, didn't you? You can taste lunch already, some of y'all. Don't make plans. Don't let the bird steal away the seed of his word. He wants to finish with two things. Number six, the mercy of God saves. It saves. What do you mean? Back in verse number three. For I am the Lord your God, your, okay. He claims us even when we don't claim him. The holy one, he's holy. His, 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 listen, his mercy doesn't cancel out his holiness. It actually points it out. And then he declares about himself two words. After the Holy One of Israel. Could we read it together? He says, your Savior. What if God was a God of nothing but wrath? 
we'd have no hope of, here's the word, you ready, rescue. We'd have no hope of rescue. If God was a God of vengeance and, and all he wanted to do was punish, we'd be sunk. And so the mercy of God saves. The, he's the Savior who ransoms us, who, who, who bought us back by his own personal sacrifice. You see, all across the span of humanity and, and history, we find kings and queens who demanded that their subjects give their lives for the monarch, the king or the queen. And yet we have here the one king, the high king of heaven, who instead, instead of demanding your life for him, he gives his life for you. Who is like our God? Finally, number seven. Y'all ready to close? I like that. Nobody amens. I can see it in your eyes, but that's okay. All right, number seven, the mercy of God is giving. It's generous. Again, I'm comparing, I'm adding to the idea here of mercy and grace being hand in hand. So I don't get something, but I get something else, okay? So look with me, if you will, finally in verse number three, the end of verse three and end of verse four. When he said, I'm your savior, he goes on to say, I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Meaning, if you get literal in this, he's talking, remember, this is a literal passage to a literal people that still has application today. He's talking to the children of Israel. He said, I've defeated Egypt for you. I destroyed them for you. I defeated Seba for you. I gave them, a, I gave, their, their annihilation was for you, for your betterment. In your place. Since, why? Verse number four, since you were. Now, wait a minute. You mean I've betrayed God and I've rebelled against his ways and I've done things my way and gone after other gods and yet God still says, what about me? You're precious. You're precious to God. Now I know people here might have given up on you. And I know maybe you've betrayed somebody so much that they can't love you and they've turned their back on you and they've had to go a different direction. But what I want to tell you something is this. God will never do that. He'll never do that. And his mercy is new this very day. And he offers for me and you. What did he give? He gave, well, for them he gave Sebia and Ethiopia, verse number four. Since you were precious in my sight, you've been honored. I've loved you, therefore I will give men for you. I'm not, I've given so much for you. That's what he's saying. And people, I give people for your life. I want you to experience life. And so for me and you, we boiled it down to John chapter three and verse number 16. And so you see the old covenant pointing to the big picture of the new covenant. He called a people for himself. They couldn't hold up their end of the bargain. Oh, it sounds like me and you, doesn't it? The mercy of God met their need. The mercy that attaches to grace provides the sacrifice. For them, it was Ethiopia and Seba. But for me and you, and ultimately, because that was like, he was talking about physically, but for them as well, it was the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. He who spared not his only son, how will he also not freely give us all things that pertain to life and godliness? I want you to think for a minute about the mercy of God that gives. Can you imagine the person that's betrayed you the most and hurt you the most that you just would want to just give them the best? Nobody is like God. So this morning, I want us to bow our heads together for just a moment as we contemplate what it is that we've heard this morning. Now, uh, would anybody agree with me? There's a little bit of a deeper message on the, on the mercy of God. And what I've sensed in the room is a whole lot of thinking. Have you been thinking a lot today? contemplating what you're hearing? The question I want to ask you is the question that he asked them. You ready? Who among you will give ear to what you've heard? 
Who, who in this room, who, who's listening out there, who's listening to this podcast later, who's going to listen and hear what God is saying to you about his magnificent mercy, the mercy of God. I'm so glad that my freedom is not based on what I've done. Would anybody else say amen right there? I'm so glad. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, I'd encourage you, there's no better time than right now. If the Holy Spirit of God is pricking your heart, is drawing you, wooing you, I beg you today, turn your life over to Jesus and receive forgiveness and purpose. Follow him the rest of your days. I guarantee you'll never hear a person say, I sure am sad that I followed Jesus. But all the countless people on their deathbed have told me, Pastor, I wish a long time ago I'd have given my life to Jesus. You can do it right where you're seated. Did you know that? Driving down the road there at the nurse's station, maybe with your AirPods in your ears, and you're just kind of doing some stuff. And right now, the voice of God is saying to you, I want a relationship with you, but the only way is through Jesus. And today you'll have to invite him to be Lord. You'll have to confess him as Lord. You'll have to surrender. You'll have to repent. Turn away from you being the boss. And based on his mercy and love and what he did on the cross and the power of his resurrection, you'll have to invite him. As many as, this is what the word of God says, as many as received him, he gave the right to be called children of God. Would you receive him today? Take your hand and place it in the nail-scarred hand of Jesus and say, Lord, lead me, guide me, direct me. My life is yours. He'll save you. He'll forgive you. There'll be no record of your wrongdoing every, anywhere in the courtroom of heaven. And for the child of God this morning, I know that you have failed just like I have failed. Maybe the failure has been a long time ago, but you still think about it often. You still allow the guilt and the shame to limit you because, you know, you did that thing. And God's brought you here this morning to remind you that if you've confessed it, you've moved away from it, would you remember the mercy of God? You'll never get what you deserve. Maybe there's somebody right now that's actively involved in disregarding God in some particular area of your life. Would you listen and hear God's voice to say, turn? Turn before the consequences are locked in. Turn before the devastation comes. Turn and do it his way. So as we continue, Brian's coming to help me at the altar. I want you to know the altar's open. There may be a man or woman. I know we already have one that's come to just begin to pray. Maybe there's a brother or sister in the house that have come pray for lost souls. Maybe there's somebody in the house that has experienced failure in the past and you found freedom in the mercy of God. Maybe you just come and pray for somebody else that may be here today that's stuck in shame and guilt. Maybe you just come and, and come to the altar and just begin to pray. Maybe, maybe there's somebody in your life that you need to be able to forgive and extend mercy to. And, and today the only answer is to come before the Lord and say, oh God, would you help me to have mercy for those who've hurt me and harmed me and done me wrong? Whatever it is that you need to do today, please have liberty to do that. If you need to come to the altar, if God's stirring in your heart for, for a season now that you're supposed to be part of this gathering, wouldn't you come today? If he's calling you to something, wouldn't you come share that with me and Brian so we can help you and point you in the right direction and encourage you? Maybe you followed Jesus but never followed through in baptism. Hey, what are you waiting for to identify with Christ? To go public. So, Lord, I pray you take this time of response. And, Lord, would you please move in a mighty way. And so as I say amen, those at the altar, don't feel like you have to just pop up. Those who are sitting out in the congregation, I don't mean you have to pop up and sing. 
Just be led of the Holy Spirit. Praise is going to begin to sing here in just a moment. As you feel led of God, stand to your feet and begin to sing. So, Father, I pray you have your way now in Jesus' name. Amen.